Please take your Bibles and find 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 9 through 20. Probably be looking at some verses in and around that chapter as well. So you want to keep your Bibles open. And good to see you here today. We thank you for coming on this Mother's Day weekend. Appreciate you being a part of the service today. What is it somebody told me this morning? takes 90 gallons to baptize a Christian. It takes nine drops of water to keep a Baptist from church or something like that. There's much more than nine drops coming out there, you understand. But you've proved them wrong, haven't you? You've come. You're here. Appreciate you being here today. It's part of our worship service today as we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hopefully appropriate for Mother's Day as well as a part of our series as we are talking about answers for our families as found in His Word. And I hope that you'll be a part of many passages that we'll look at over the next few weeks as we talk about how we can find answers for our family, church family. And while sometimes you might find it may be a little bit focused in on a certain aspect of the family, we hope that every time you might be able to discover and find something for yourselves as well. Today, just to remind you as we are in First Samuel, we're coming to a time, of course, in the Old Testament uh, that was, in, it was a difficult time nationally for the nation of Israel. It was a time, as uh, we're going to talk about Hannah, she was living in a flawed family and she and others, all imperfect people, but we realize and understand that we serve a God who intervenes, hears, helps knows our needs, and hears our prayers. Hopefully you'll find this also applicable for all of us today. 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Would you stand in honor of God's word, please? <clears throat> After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman, And Eli said to her, How long you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word, and you may be seated today. I'm going to give you reason not to pay attention or to listen this morning. That's right, going out on a limb and give you reason perhaps not to. Uh, It may be that this is part of your tradition. It's Mother's Day, and so it's your tradition that you, uh, there's flowers and gifts, and then there's the meal after church, and then maybe some family time and a nap. Maybe this could be part of your nap time. Or it's Mother's Day, and you're not one. Or you find that being one is pretty rough. 
It is on Mother's Day that every year, not just in our church, but all around, that there are lots of mothers or lots of people perhaps who come regularly, but they don't come on Mother's Day because it's just simply too rough. Maybe they lost a loved one, gone through a difficult time, and so they find it difficult to come and talk about motherhood on Mother's Day. And that's understandable, but we want this to be a day of encouragement. But it might be a reason that you think I don't need to pay attention or I don't need to listen. Or it may be that you don't know that you believe in the God of the Bible. That is, you're not too sure about who God is, and you're not too sure about His Word in the first place, particularly on a day such as today. And it could be a day perhaps to maybe that you think this isn't for you. And I'm just letting you know that I know that you're out there, and there are reasons not to listen. But if you dare, mom or dad or son or daughter or single or single again or from a traditional or blended family, if you pay attention to God's Word, this passage could give hope and encouragement, direction for you and your family, and a peace that you have not known before, not because I preach a great sermon, but because we know a great Savior. This passage is about a mom dedicating her child, and application is for all people. Now, these were not ideal times, and Hannah's predicament was not good. Samuel was born in the period of history of Israel known as the period of the judges. Samuel was the last of the judges and the first of the national prophets. God had told Moses and the Hebrew people if they were obedient exalted God, God exalted the nation. If they were disobedient, then God's blessings would be taken away. And they had become disobedient and they had turned from God. This first chapter of Samuel opens up at a time when Israel and the leaders where they were not exalting God, but it was a dark time spiritually. The period of the judges is summarized except for a few glimmers of hope in a couple of verses in Judges chapter 17 and Judges chapter 21 to where it says, everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. In other words, there was virtually no standard by which people lived. And though an imperfect family, they were more faithful than most of the Israelites. Most of the time, Hannah is seen as a classic example of a mother who dedicates her child to God and serves as a great example for mothers everywhere. And that's exactly where we're going today. We're going to learn from her example today and honor godly mothers. But the bigger picture... Hannah also played a significant role in bringing a nation back to God. Now we as believers in our Christian circles, sometimes we talk about what's happening in our nation and we think, you know, we've, we've lost our moral compass. We're no longer living by the Judeo-Christian ethics and morality that we once knew and we're in trouble spiritually. But it, and if we were to say that about our nation today, this very thing, everyone is doing what is right in his or her own eyes, You know, many people would say, well, what's wrong with that? However, that phrase was not meant to be a compliment. Where there is no standard, where there is no biblical guideline, it leads to spiritual tragedy and certainly spiritual darkness. Our attitude, though, more often than not is, well, what's a believer to do? What's a Christian to do? This is just the way it is. But I want us to discover from this mother, mother mother-to-be, how she influenced a nation for Hannah... It really was not her focus at this particular time in which you're reading. She was not really contemplating how she was going to help a nation that was heading in the wrong direction, but she was seeking the Lord. After all, she had personal problems and something that she wanted. She could not have children at a time when women were shamed if they could not. It was considered an embarrassment to the family, many cultural reasons for that. On top of that, her husband had another wife, and she ridiculed her mercilessly. 
Well, we too are not living the best of times in our nation, spiritually speaking, but what's a believer to do? And personally, even you as a mother or a family member might be facing some difficulty in your life. And like Hannah, it may not be because of something of your own doing or could be because something someone else has done or something out of your control has brought heartache and pain. You may be today looking for a little hope, a little encouragement or direction in your life. So I'm asking you to join me in these next few minutes as we discover together from the story of Hannah what's a mother to do in the world in which we live and the personal circumstances that you may be facing today. Now, hopefully that translates into what's a Christian, what's a believer to do. So as we talk about what's a mother to do, let's first of all understand that a mother prays. Do you wish it'd be a little more exciting than that? But a mother prays. Well, we know that all mothers pray, or maybe all mothers should pray. And we find that uh, for all believers as well, it is a privilege and it's our responsibility. Now, over many years of being in ministry, I've been called on to pray at lots of different times and lots of different occasions. And particularly when I was in a small town, be a part of sometimes the city board of things or maybe part of the clubs or things that were going on. I've been at, you know, some grand openings of stores and been at banquets and city festivals and these kinds of things to where they needed a pastor to pray. While I wasn't the only Christian there, sometimes I was the only preacher there, so they would call on me to pray. And probably the most unusual place that I ever prayed over a loudspeaker was at Walmart. Now, there have been many times I prayed silently at Walmart, you understand, but, and I didn't just grab the microphone and start praying, but it was the reopening or the reorganizing or it turned into a super Walmart, so they asked me to come at the pray at Walmart. I was uh, also asked to pray at the groundbreaking of a new high school in one of the towns in which we live. Superintendent had asked me to come and to pray. He said, As, the governor is going to come and speak. And he said, I'll come. Superintendent said, I'll come. I'm going to welcome everyone. And you'll have the uh, invocation, which means the beginning. And so... you'll pray and then the governor will speak. And so I've kind of walked off to the side, you know, and see the podium where I'm, so I make a beeline to the podium. The superintendent, principals, and dignitaries of the city, they're all on the other side to where they think the governor is going to come. So I'm standing there by myself. We're sitting there waiting. This is two or three governors ago. In fact, I had met this governor uh, a year or two before that at a particular luncheon and uh, that we were invited to and we came and as they were introduced, you know, they had a reception afterwards or a receiving line and everybody was being introduced to the governor and they said, we came our turn said, Governor, this is uh, Pastor Jeff Redmond and his wife, Kelly. And I want you to know, I froze. I could tell he was waiting for me to say something. I knew I should say something. So finally he asked me and he said, uh, where do you people? Where do you preach? And I thought, well, this is an easy one. Um, uh, at a Baptist church, and we moved on from there. So the same governor, we're waiting. He's late. It's not going to start till he gets there. They're waiting. They think he's going to come over, but instead, and we, you know, we're out in the field, so to speak. He comes and he drives right beside me, and so I open the door and I say, "Welcome, governor. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so much for coming." As if I had anything to do. And he looked up at me and he said, "You're that goofy Baptist preacher that I met in." And I want you to know that even some of that parts of that story are actually true. But I say that to let you know it is a privilege to be involved in prayer. It's a privilege and honor and responsibility because sometimes unbeknown to us, we're joining God in His great work 
for Hannah, at least for the moment, she seemed not as concerned about the nation, but seeking God, and rightly so, for her personal needs. But like Hannah, by doing the right things, by bringing her petition before God, she was going to influence her family. She was going to influence the nation of Israel and influence many generations to come as we know that Samuel would be the one who would be the great prophet of God, the one who would anoint King Saul and then anoint King David as well. Well, when you're joining God in His work you're, for your petitions and you're doing the right things, you're not only influencing yourself, but you're influencing your family, you're influencing your community, you're influencing your church and the nation and even the world who needs to know Christ. Now, do you want to join God in His great work? It may not sound that exciting, but it begins with prayer. For Hannah, family life got complicated and family life gets complicated all the time. But here, Hannah's husband was Elkanah, had two wives, Penina and Hannah. Having more than one wife is never God's ideal so many people, even people that God used, often had more than one wife we find in the Old Testament. But if you examine the Scripture, what you'll find is every time there was more than one wife, it brought strife. It did in Elkanah's home. It did in Abraham's home. It did for Jacob and even King David. Family life gets complicated when it strays from God's ideal. Then what are you to do when life gets complicated? You're in, in crisis. I know we read in verse, beginning in verse 9, but verse 7 says that Hannah was reduced to tears and had no appetite. Now, her husband tried to console her. Husbands, God bless us. Oh, we mean well, don't we? He gave her a double portion of food, according to verse 5. Now, I'm not an expert, but when a woman is depressed or anybody is depressed, maybe telling them to eat more may not be the very best thing. But it was festival time, and part of the festival time was that they sacrificed food and they gave it out to the family. And because he loved her so much, he gave her a double portion. And then he said, in verse 8, he said what every husband has ever said to their wife who was sad. He said, why are you so sad? You've got me. Read it there in verse 8. He said, why are you so sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Yes, men, we're thinking, why doesn't this snap her out of it? To t- just to tell her, look, you've got me. Why shouldn't you be happy? The problem is she's thinking just the opposite, isn't she? She's thinking, oh no, if all I've got is you, how sad that is. By the way, just a little commercial and segue maybe on Wednesday night, we're starting a study for all adults. It's called Overcoming Emotions That Destroy. And it's a biblical study as we talk about different passages of the Bible that will help us to be able to understand good emotions and bad emotions, particularly dealing with anger. But uh, whether you're married or not married, single or whatever, it, is, uh, it will be a great study. We hope that it will help you as well as we continue to talk about family life and relationships. But let me say this, ladies, if you're depending on your husband or on anyone else to always do the right thing or to make you feel better, to always have the solution to your problems, you're depending on the wrong person. Because you need to be depending on the one who is most important and the one who you know that you can depend on at all times and depend on the most, and we know that's Jesus. So after a well-meaning but failed attempt by the husband, Hannah went to the tabernacle to pray. How thankful we are for mothers and for women and family members who pray. And the Bible tells us that the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. But let's talk for just a moment about what makes for an effective prayer life. First of all, it needs to be genuine. Here we have Hannah 
See, hers was not a dry prayer, but was an earnest prayer, and it was showed from the heart she prayed and wept. A prayer from the heart sometimes brings tears. It doesn't mean that if you're not crying, it doesn't mean that it's not genuine. And Eli the priest saw her, and while she prayed silently, her lips moved, but no sound came out. And Eli thought she was drunk. Now, it says a little bit about the times and the places. It was a festival time. It was a religious feast that was taking place, probably the Feast of Tabernacles. And it called to such that overindulgence is what was happening even when they were celebrating the religious times. What seems even more interesting to me or more unusual was the fact that when she was praying, Eli the high priest, even the high priest, did not recognize genuine prayer even in the tabernacle. That's how far the nation of Israel had come away from God. But there could be a connection between genuine spirit-filled prayer and being drunk. Now, this is not the first time that onlookers thought God-fearing people were drunk with wine. Not the only time it's mentioned in the Bible. It know that it happened at Pentecost. They thought that when the Holy Spirit filled them, that they must have been drunk. Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we know the contrast. We know the difference between being Spirit-filled prayer and drunk. One's good for you and one's not. But people who are drunk lose all inhibitions. They're not worried about what people think about them. Now, you know how I feel already about any consumption of alcohol because of the danger of losing your witness and the effect that it can have on others. Even if you can hold your liquor and you can drink responsibility, as believers, we clearly have responsibility for others. I can only make the comparison because it says, it talks about it in Scripture, genuine prayer loses all inhibitions and becomes honest with God, concentrates and focuses on Him alone. But also effective prayer is particular. She prayed for one son. Philippians 4, 6 is make your request known to God. There's nothing wrong with praying saying, Lord, just bless the whole world. But effective prayer will be particular and it will look for particular answers. It may not always be the particular answer that you had hoped that God will answer, but you can know that God is going to answer and you can trust how He does. Effective prayer is also unselfish. She prayed for one son. Abraham's Sarah actually prayed for children. She made a promise to give him to the Lord. He was to be a Nazarite who dedicated themselves fully to the Lord, and that was often shown or symbolized by not cutting of the hair. She made a vow with God. I want you to see the difference, not a deal with God. She said, God, if you'll do this, then I'll start being such and such. God, if you'll do this, just watch what I can do. No, she said instead... She made a vow, Lord, if you do answer this prayer, he will be dedicated unto the Lord. And then not only is effective prayer genuine, particular, unselfish, but it is attitude changing. She prayed a private prayer in a public place. And to give Eli some credit, after he realized her sincerity in seeking the Lord, in contrast to most of the Israelites, he blessed her. I don't know that we would say that he promised that her prayer would be answered, but he at least gave an amen to the prayer. Amen, may God grant that particular request. And the Lord used Eli to show her that God hears her prayers. Now her prayers were not answered as of yet, but she was able to rise. And what she did, she was no longer sad. Scripture says her face was no longer downcast. Knowing her prayers are heard by a loving God. 
fact, when she got through with the prayer, her circumstances were exactly the same. She was still living in the same nation, in the same home. She still had no children at that time. And she still had another person in the home who ridiculed her because of it. Yet, her attitude had changed. Effective prayers do not necessarily change our circumstances or become answered as hope. But effective prayers always change the heart and the attitude of the person praying. So what's a mother to do? Well, a mother's also protect. Mothers protect. We honor Mother's Day for protecting and caring for us. Now, let's focus on spiritual protection for a moment. Some some parents seem concerned about not forcing their children in matters of church and religion. I've heard it more than once for a parent to say, well, we're not going to force our children in matters of church. I'm not going to try to influence my child, but when they get old enough, they'll have to decide for themselves. That may sound modern, it may sound tolerant, but it is irresponsible for believers in the Lord Jesus because I can tell you that today, the world and the enemy of this world is trying to influence your children away from God. And the Bible tells us, we read it today in our parent-child dedication, that it is the parent's responsibility to put protection around them. Well, how do we do that? Well, I want to help you a little bit with that this morning from our scripture. And you've got a picture of a triangle on your notes, or you can just think of a triangle, and you want a kind of a fence of a triangle, and you want to put your child there in the middle. We'll talk about the three sides of that. Uh, but let's look at the scripture, see if we can find those out. I want you to see if you notice some repetition in the story of Samuel. And, uh, verse 3 of chapter 1, first part of that. So this man used to go up year by year from the city to worship. Talking about Elkanah. Verse 19 says, They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Verse 28 says, And he worshiped the Lord there. And then if we look further in chapter 2, we got the verse where it says, And his mother used to make him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband after the yearly sacrifice. So there's a hint there for us. If we want to put a hedge of protection around our family, around our children, we want to worship regularly. Worship regularly. Now, I suppose we could argue that they went once a year. That seems to be enough for some. But they traveled to Shiloh for the annual sacrifice, and it represented personal worship. Now, there are no guarantees that if you find yourself in worship that, and follow the Lord, if you worship every Sunday and have personal worship in your home, but without it, the fence is down. Part of the hedge of protection is gone. For as Jesus said, the wild animals, thieves, and the enemy, they come to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. And, and do remember there's a difference between sitting on a pew or sitting on a chair and genuine worship focused on Christ our Lord. What's the second hedge of protection? Well, here are some clues. Hannah did everything she could to protect Samuel spiritually, bring him up in the way of the Lord. Even the name Samuel means Name of God or asked of God, loosely translated, given to him so that he might know that he belongs to the Lord. But read verses 21 and 22 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, which says, The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer the, to the Lord the yearly sacrifice, pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. In other words, she followed her vow. She was obedient. She was faithful. Now, not every child's name needs to be biblical. I know, knew one pastor had four sons named Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, 
fact, I was talking to somebody, you know, we're in search of a new children's director, and I was on the phone talking with a, a potential possibility about that, and other person on the other end said, oh, I, know, I knew your last children's director. Wasn't her name Faith? And I said, well, no, it was Hope, but she got the top three. I said, you got one of the top three, so that's okay. I, I used to wonder what parents were thinking when they named their child Patience. But then I had two daughters, and then I understood exactly why. But most of us not going to drop our children off at church like Samuel was, or please don't drop your children off like Samuel did, was, but set the example by dedicating themselves to the Lord. So like Hannah, dedicate clearly. Dedicate clearly. Make it clear, particularly to your children, your dedication to the Lord and your loving desire for them to follow the Lord's purpose for their life. Let them not wonder about you. Let them not wonder that you believe also that God has a purpose. Make it clear that you know God has a plan for them. So many young people and adults are unclear that there's any purpose for their existence at all. They need to know that they have a purpose that is God-designed. Samuel knew he had a purpose and it would bring a nation back to God. One reason he knew, my goodness, how clear could it be that he needed to be dedicated to the Lord than to go and to drop him off at an early age at the temple to live there. So it was clear dedication. One more hedge of protection. We're going to read a little bit further, verses 24 through 28 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says, And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And that word lent means giving, not lending and to get back. But it is actually the word that means giving. But how about this? Worship regularly, dedicate clearly, and teach by example. Teach by example. It's never too early to begin to teach and be the example and pray for your children. If you're thinking early has come and gone, then begin now to be as consistent as possible. Knowing we're not perfect parents and we must rely on the grace of God, we are the ones who are to put the hedge of protection around our families. Mothers pray, mothers protect, mothers prove their love. It was a mother's love that allowed her to leave her son at the time, her only child, for he was chosen for greater things, to be the greatest leader of God's people since Moses. Her sacrifice proved her love. And as he grew, every year she would bring a new robe to wear where he served in the temple. Her actions demonstrated love. Now, I believe that, I do believe that God intended different roles for men and women in the home and in the church. While men feel the need to be providers most of the time, It's moms who tend to be ready to make the sacrifice because of the love for their children. Ladies, we honor you for your loving sacrifice and responsibilities as part of God's divine plan. The Bible says later that he grew. Luke chapter 2 verse 26 says this, And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Does that sound familiar? Well, sure. It's the same way in which it says that Jesus... Same way Jesus grew in Luke 2.52. What, what greater love can a mother show than provide an environment where a child can grow to be like Jesus? 
God wants to use you to steer us in His direction. You know, you want to be careful what you say and what you do in the home. If for no other reason than your children tell their Sunday school teachers everything. I don't know that you, surely you know that by now. One time the question was asked, why do you love God? And one little boy said, well, I don't know, I guess it runs in my family. Well, what greater example, what greater truth could be said, what great testimony to say that the love of God runs through your family? By the way, Hannah's love and sacrifice was blessed. Samuel became the great prophet, the man that he did. Hannah, who was barren, had five more children. We find also what's a mother's to do? What, are, what do Christian mothers do? What do Christian people do? Mothers praise God. After Hannah prayed and protected spiritually, proved her love, she praised God. In fact, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we find Hannah's prayer of praise. 1 Samuel 2, verse 1 and 2 says this, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My heart is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none holy like the Lord, for there's none besides you, and there's no rock like our God. And then she says in verse 10 of that same chapter, and Oh, you don't want to miss this because I love it. We come across these passages that are actually kind of prophetic for us. We already know that Moses said there'll be one who would come who will be a king who will rule all nations. Moses had already said that. And then we find in 2 Samuel 2.10, Oh, Hannah, she's saying he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Who's the king? Who's the one that is the anointed one? Hannah, she didn't know his name, but she gave glory to Jesus. He's the great shepherd. Rock of all ages, almighty God is He. Bow down before Him, love and adore Him. What's His name? His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. A godly mother will put Him first and give God all the glory. Thank you moms for putting God first in your life. Because a godly mother will put Him first and give God all the glory. Several years ago I was on a mission trip in South America and Ran and tell a fellow by the name of Manuel. Manuel was actually a Hispanic American who had come to where we were. He was on a business trip. But the good thing about being on a foreign mission trip is people want to know why you're there. And even Manuel wanted to know why we were there. We were glad to tell him, told him why we were there, about our church, about our faith. And, <clears throat> and, uh, and I asked him about his faith and what he believed. And he said a statement that I've heard many times before. He said, I get up every morning and I pray and I thank God that he made me an atheist. And he smiled, he laughed and I smiled. I didn't laugh, but I did smile at him. But he said, my wife believes, my wife, is, she's a Christian, she believes, has kid boys in church and we talked for a little bit while about that. And In the conversation I said, does your wife pray for you? He said, oh yeah, she prays for me. Prays for me a lot, prays to become a Christian, prays I'll be in church. And, and, and before we finished talking, he said something that stuck with me. He said, I guess I need to stop letting other people's prayers cover me. So let me ask you today, are other people praying for you? Are you not where you should be? Do you need to give your life over to Him? Maybe today's the day that you need to lift your own prayer and ask Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life. Or to come back to where you once were. Or maybe you're a mom or a family member and you need to dedicate your home to the Lord Jesus today. 
I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you on this day recognizing that you are the one who ordained the family. We do thank you for moms and ladies of our church. We thank you for what they do in their homes, influence on families. We thank you for what they do in our church, service that they give, and the influence that they have in our church as well. Thank you for all these who are gathered here. We pray, Father, for moms and dads and boys and girls and grandparents and whoever's here today, and regardless of our situation or season of life. We pray even right now, Father, if there's someone who needs to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that even now in this prayer they have opportunity to pray this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I know that you died for my sins and ask that you forgive me of my sins and ask you to be my Savior, Lord. In Jesus' name. Maybe there's some here today who have grown apart, not as close as they should be, and today you might want to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Help me to live for you today. Help me to come back to you to where I need to be. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your daily walk. Thank you for how you continue to be at work. May I dedicate myself to you. Moms, dads, whoever you are, it may be that you want to pray this prayer, dedicating yourself and your family to the Lord Jesus even now. You can pray this prayer, dear Lord Jesus. Thank you for my family. Imperfect as we are. Sometimes tough situations. Different seasons of life bring different kinds of difficulties. But we want to dedicate our family to you. And I pray, Father, that our home might be a home that represents you to our neighbors and to our community, that other people might be able to see Jesus in us, that even during the worst of times, the light of Jesus comes shining through. Thank you, Father, for your presence here with us today. We thank you and we pray, Father, that you may continue to be at work. In Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen. I'm going to ask if you would, would you please stand? We're going to be singing our song of response, and as we do, I'm going to be standing down here at the front today and if the Lord is leading you to make a decision, it would be a great day to do that. You could remember, my goodness, it was on 